You're listening to You Should Read This, a uh, comic book and graphic novel review podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Alan. Uh, And today we're here with a very special guest to talk about a very special book. Hey guys, my name's Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, we should probably introduce Adam. (laughs) Uh, Adam is a friend of, well, I guess you could say the podcast, but also just a friend, like an actual friend that we hang out with and see uh sometimes in the physical person so it's not really like a like a business friendship i feel like that's like what podcasts always say like a friend of the show like oh he's been on at least once but no we do actually talk to adam do you consider this show a business i mean shouldn't you no because none of us are making any money that's absolutely (laughs) true we do this for nothing and like there's not like a future hope of money either it's not like we're investing in a startup it's just like we're doing this dumb thing for fun. Going to get that sweet sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, uh, what are your comic book credentials in like three sentences or less? Uh, comic book credentials are started reading at 12 mostly X-Men uh, and Ant-Man, surprisingly. Jumped really hard into Green Lantern during Blackest Night and uh, now write comics for fun. That's why you guys are friends. Blackest Night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I know Alan... Rather, I know Adam through Alan, and I know Alan. Yes, you do know I me. Know why like I know you. <laughs> That's a lie. It's it's from it's from work. <laughs> <laughs> work, you know, where you make adult friends because it's not like you can say we met at like the library. That's not usually a thing. <laughs> to be fair, we've known each other long enough outside of work that I, that I'm 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 comfortable calling you my in real life friend. I think that at this point we probably have we known each other outside of common shared workspace as long as we shared a common workspace. Yes, we have. I've been working at my current job for five years. Then yes, we have officially passed that mark at four. I think is what it was. Yeah. Are you real friends now? Yeah, we're real friends, friends Jenna. <laughs> Jenna's gonna be like our our ghost fourth commentator on this. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you guys, how did you guys meet? Where did Adam? Where did you come from? You don't have to give us the whole history of your friendship. So in truth, I don't remember the exact thing. But as far as I can remember, it was through our friend Parker. Alan played in a band with him, uh, slapping the mean bass. No, I was, <laughs> I was at that point, let's see, with Parker joining, I was not singing, but I was playing guitar. So I was the guitar in that one. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Because Parker was drumming. And then we, yeah. uh, we met at Chain Reaction, uh, yep. which is <laughs> Southern California, uh, yep. you know. Um, concert venue, I legendary, guess all ages, it's rite of passage, uh, yeah. in Southern California. <laughs> if you're gonna do pay to play, at very least, it was the cheapest option. Um, yeah. and then I think, yeah, I think we were just hanging out talking, and we found out we were both nerds, and yep. we became closer friends than either me and Parker or Adam yep. and Parker. <laughs> Pretty much, that's how it kicked off. Uh, it and then uh, you know, yeah, just talking about comics for sure, absolutely, just like boosted us through that gate. <laughs> so, <laughs> especially the obscure love of Green Lantern, which was very hard right. to find. <laughs> right, which uh, I can see your Funkos behind you over there, and you have yes, a couple so Green Lanterns. He is. Like I don't four. have. Like, let's be real. Yeah, I I only have one Green Lantern Funko. That's true. Uh, but I do have a one-to-one scale of the Green Lantern power battery, so which is pretty cool. I have all the rings they released for Blackest Night, as well yeah. as a messed up uh, Orange Lantern in a pink ring, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> because um, that's when we went to uh, Blackest Night, the fundraiser. That's right. Which was a uh, honorary thing for Jeff Johns after he, he like this was. 
I think this is halfway through his run. So like right before Brightest Day, I think is what it was. Yeah. And um, our friend had uh, uh, the means in which to get all three of us into like the minimum level donations um, into this event. So we went to downtown LA and went to this sort of swanky, um, it was, a, it was a, um, a cultural center that they had converted into this event space. Um, uh, Jeff Johns was there, obviously. Uh, Jim Lee was there. Uh, who else was there? Who was running uh, media at the time? Jeff Loeb. Loeb was also Jeff there. Loeb. Yeah. And so we we schmoozed and hobnobbed, uh, met some other nerds, and uh, sat for like a very moving presentation. I still uh, remember Jeff also Loeb's talked speech. to Jeff Johns for a good chunk of the night. We did talk to Jeff Johns a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's not wrong. He's a very very nice guy. Yeah. He's um, and then they had a bowl, like a punch bowl of Green Lantern core rings, like all the Lantern cores. Everything they didn't offload <laughs> from the event is literally just sitting in like a bowl on the way out, like a key party for the big world's biggest nerds, where you just grabbed a crap ton of rings and walked just out with filled them. Filled your pockets with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, he and, he and our other friend did, and I felt rings. bad about taking them, so I only took uh, a blue, and then I'm like, oh, okay, this is my one, I guess. <laughs> It was a giant but, bowl. I knew they didn't fall. <laughs> well, you were right. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> hey, speaking but of we're not talking, Johns. Yeah, we're not talking about Green Lantern. We're talking about something else that's just as weird, though. I was going to say, I just watched Aquaman. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. We're not doing the book yet? All right, let's talk about Aquaman. I don't know. Uh, let's not. No, I mean, <laughs> like it's it, the movie had an octopus as a drummer, but they tried to make it look as cool as they could. And mm-hmm. Ryan, I don't know how to tell you this. The whole movie. That yeah. wasn't Aquaman. You were watching Jabberjaw. <laughs> no. It was definitely Aquaman. It was squiddly diddly. Everybody knows that. <laughs> no. He, he, he swims around in jeans. Like, who does that? Is that his that's superpower? So the ability to be in wet jeans and not wish yeah. he was dead? Well, that's how you know he has strength far beyond that of a mortal man. I guess because so, yeah. drown in <laughs> jeans in the ocean. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty silly. Yeah, um, so let's talk about this book. Um, the book that yeah, what we, book are we reading this week? Yeah, the book that we're reading this, this time around is a book called... I guess called, not week, because we don't do this weekly. No. Uh, it's a book called Die. Uh, yep, just Die. D-I-E. Uh, it's written by Kieran Gillen, and the art is by Stephanie Hans. Um, with letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, and if we want to do all the credits, Ryan Hughes is the designer and Chrissy Williams is the editor. It's on Image. We're talking about the first trade of it, which, like, usually we try to read a couple of trades, but this is dense. This is six it's issues. It's dense, and I think this is, this is the is only so trade much. right now, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I think there's, there's issues eight is coming out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, yeah, this is the first five issues? First five, six issues. I think it's six. Seven. I don't have the book right in front of me. Let me see. Seven. Oh, seven. Mm-hmm. All right. It didn't. Okay, we're going to nope. talk about this in a minute. But honestly, five. it didn't feel like seven. It's one through five. Aha. There we go. Says it on the title page. Um, All right. Well, Adam, thanks for leading us off with uh, an excellent comment. <laughs> so um, let's let's just let's just jump into it. Would you guys like? What the heck, dudes? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about like the writer because I feel like that features heavily into this whole thing, right? So, like, Kieran Gillen being I, okay. So when when Jenna asked me what I was reading last night, and I I and she asked me like, "Oh, what are you reading?" and my first response was, <sighs> <laughs> "That was it." It was just a heavy sigh. Really? And then I, 
Well, here's the thing is the way I explained it was Kieran Gillen as a writer, um, in my opinion, is becoming the new Grant Morrison of like of image like he his take on literally everything has to be i said there's three levels level one is the thing that you're reading it's the story level two is the research he did on everything that takes place in that story so that you know like he could write it effectively and the third level down is all of the other background story he made to support the historical fact in this fantasy setting of the story you're reading like all of the background stuff, like, I, I remember when he first started on Twitter talking about this particular book, and he was talking about, like, the games he was playing for research, and he, I think he created, like, a style guide and, like, a Bible for this story, like, of world building, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a he created an entire RPG. <laughs> so all the worlds and everything, all the weird names that come up are, in his brain, real things. Um, well, and I mean, that's like the thing you forgot about his Morrison element is also very weird, which is uh, probably the only thing I could say uh, definitely does make me think of Morrison as these layers of uh, otherworldly weirdness that he likes to put in a lot of his work. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of like what I I mean, you, you're not wrong. I, I was implying that that is that comes with the words Grant Morrison. Uh, <laughs> but to be fair, that's yeah, I, I should have explained that. Yeah, I don't think like a lot of the fantasy elements and stuff are totally out of like out of nowhere the way Grant Morrison would sometimes have stuff where it was like, oh, this clearly is inspired by like you dropping acid. Like, yeah, this stuff feels Maybe definitely more like, like this is less about stuff that uh, Alan, or that Kieran Gillen thought of when he was dropping acid more of like stuff he thought of when he was like arms deep into like four different RPG source books. And mm-hmm. also like seven books of poetry and three fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It feels it feels more like literary references and and less like uh, drug trippy stuff. I don't know. There's there's something oh, yeah. in my mind that says Grant Morrison is different, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a nerd. No, I completely I, agree. Okay, well, I will defend my stance with with uh, agreeing with you that that the the historical fact and the and the and the poetry and all that stuff does make it less trippy than Grant Morrison. But you're right in terms of you're right in terms of the layered like he's built a whole world and then the story he's telling you is both the story he's telling you but there's also like a lot of sort of meta things going on that is mm-hmm. very Morrison esque. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and and I I think that's uh that's kind of probably more what I was glomming onto, which was um not glomping but glomming uh. And I think it was just the fact that like the layers and the sort of intellectual like, I, you know, we talk about uh, basic and like we talk about advanced comics being a thing like easy comics that you would introduce people to it. And then like advanced comics where if somebody read it, they'd be like, I don't want to read this anymore. And I would put this one probably I would put most Kieran Gillen work towards advanced, if not just square in the middle. It really depends on the IP, I think. But this one, I feel like leans towards a harder to read. Like, I'm not going to go give this to uh, to somebody that said, well, I was thinking about getting into comics and I don't know what to read. Maybe not this one. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree. I, I definitely read the first issue of this, like, two times before I was really like, all right, I feel like reading another one of these. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I really sat down with the trade that I, like, got into it. The first couple of times I read the first issue, I was like, all right, well, that's kind of depressing. 
Speaking of, uh, of new readers, let's do elevator pitches real quick. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Uh, let's make... Uh, it's not... You no, know, you've listened to the podcast, Adam. You yeah. Uh, oh, God. What, what's, your, what's your quick summation <laughs> slash elevator pitch for this book? Uh... Okay, uh, you know, I'll pull a little bit from the book itself, uh, where they said that this is uh, this is Watchmen. This is a Watchmen Jumanji, where it is very much a uh, all about the evils of uh, uh, satanic uh, fantasy role playing games. But what if they actually sucked you in and had addiction elements? Um, I, I think that's probably the best, the best, best version uh, that I could think of. Um, I would say that. Let's see. Yeah. Jumanji is such a good reference. <laughs> um, I would say that it is a... Uh, I'm going to go with Sword Art Online, where if you die in the game, you die in real life. Uh, you know, you get, you're, you're in the game. Like, it's real. Everything is real. Um, it's a bunch of kids who uh, start playing this game and get sucked into it and uh, apparently get out of the game, although uh, there's, like, some actual scarring there. And so by the time the book starts, they're all... Um, like 40-ish, apparently. So they're all getting back into this game against their own free will. Uh, and, uh, and so it takes place in the game with them trying to find their way home. All right. Uh, I'll do mine. Uh, I, man, I can't not use Jumanji now. <laughs> you can uh, use Zathura if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not the same. It's like, it's like imagine you went to Jumanji as a kid and it was D&D Jumanji, but you were a teenager and you were awful. And then 20 years later, you were forced to go back and confront all of the awful teenage things you did in this fantasy realm. And all the things that got done to you. I feel like exactly. that is like a and, huge part of this as oh, well. Oh, yeah. The, the trauma of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's one of the things that really hit me. Um, like, uh, sort of while I was trying to grasp what the tone of this book was going to be. And they started talking about like the worlds and how they were built, and like even that first encounter they have with um, they call it the fallen, um, uh, like the concept that if you're a teenager and ooh fun this is a game, and if you treat it like what they were talking about, if you treat it like a game, then there are no consequences, and you can sort of like be rash and foolhardy. But if you treat it as if like hey if we get if if we get hurt and it hurts right, then this might be real. Then everything else in that realm is also real, and it sort of like creates this element of um, virtue ethics that didn't exist before and so that means all the blood all the death all of the things that are that you're inflicting but also are happening to you like the one girl that like loses her arm right um like it, it it's all it's all think about that from a from a normal everyday perspective like we hear about things on the news all the time um or you might know somebody that, that something bad happened to and you think about like the emotional weight of that and then in this case the emotional weight of that tragedy, but also like the fear, the adrenaline and all that other weird fantasy junk that you can't explain, you know, like the, at least to a normal person. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like once I put myself into like that mindset, like, dang, man, if I was actually like the, the character I play in D and D, if I was actually that character, all the weird stuff that you laugh at because it has a funny name, you know, like uh, when you're sitting around the table eating pizza, like when if you were in that universe, it would be terrifying. Like the the adventurer archetype is not uh, like oh, I'm gonna you know like kill some orcs today. It's like, dude, you could die. Like you get a sword run through you or something or worse, you know. Well, um, and and also like you are killing other people. Also, yeah. 
like even if you don't play it as a murder hobo like it's still <laughs> like an actual like you know you're snuffing out a life sorry that's yeah. wow no but that's it i think th- i think yeah. that's really what he was going for um when trying to set up like when they went back uh you know since they're all older um also the fact that they're like i don't get me wrong i i I get the idea of aging over time but 40 like 40 is a long stretch of time to put characters back into like these kinds of situations well we do two time jumps like right from the get-go you have two years then 25 years hey Hmm. i'm not that far from 40 (laughs) i know and then think about you now versus like Uh, think about you a teenager being sucked into a game where you're forced to like fight goblins and zombies but but not only not only think about that but like think about you now like confronting your teenage self or things that you thought or wrote as a teenager that's that's exactly it i was gonna say it's like if you for anybody who's like writes out there it's like looking at your stuff like from when you're a teen right now you're just like oh my god what was wrong with me like the angst and like at the same time just the uh the uh not just the angst, but like the what, like the psychological things you can see behind your own work. You're like, God, I was going through a tough time, like kind of thing. It's it's literally something like that, where something that you thought was great or something fantastic at the time is now just being uh, something that you're looking at with these older eyes, and it's kind of shocking uh, and also a little bit uh, gut wrenching. So, yeah, I've been on like I've been on Twitter for a little more than ten years, and I um, I still use TimeHop where I can see my old tweets. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, oh, oh wow, <laughs> what, oh boy, uh, and, and oof, I'm like, big I, oof, I, yeah, uh, it, it, big mood, big oof. Uh, <laughs> I straight up deleted like most of my tweets, yeah, uh, oh, wow. for that reason because I was just like, you know what, uh, I don't need this ghost of my idiot past self hanging around. It doesn't do anybody any favors. There's no reason to keep it. Uh, I felt better about myself afterwards. The one thing I will say is, uh, Ryan, you were talking about reading the first issue twice, and um, I definitely think it helped to have the trade. I mean, as it always does when, in long-form writing, but um, I had a hard time, like, I had a hard time getting through that first issue in the sense that it was so much foggy exposition that I was getting frustrated with it, you know? Like, I was, it was so much non-information, so much non-essential information. <laughs> about can't talk about it don't know anything don't know who knows yeah it's just like it's really like until you get to the part where they suddenly are in the land as their characters and somebody's like oh now we can talk about it it's like oh finally like i I almost want that to have happened in the first issue but the first issue would have to be like 65 pages long yeah right adam what were you gonna say i was gonna say uh, and on top of that like right from the get-go in like the first like two pages were so hit with a bunch of like Britishisms about like different foods and like places. I was just like, boy, right from the start, it's as impenetrable for me to feel comfortable because <laughs> I'm not sure what any of these things are. I was like, I could assume, uh, but sure. And just going through and going through. And it's also like crafted. So right from the beginning if in the art, if nothing else, just to make you feel so uneasy that again, it's, it's even harder to get your bearings because you're not exactly coming at it from familiar or it's, I should say it's like familiar through, like kind of creepy glasses of memory. Like if you look at it, it always looks like it's a weird scene from like an, an old magazine or an, an ad about Halloween where there's like the, the adults like glow in the background and every doorway like just has light that kind of like spills onto the street. So it's very like dreamlike and uh, unnerving versus just like, oh, this is a nice start of a normal home. It instantly looks like it's a super creepy home from like Halloween. 
Yeah. Or, I definitely think that they, they pour that, that feeling on real thick in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it ends up being sort of warranted, but you're right. It's very like horror movie esque the way it's, the way the art is, the way it's, and, and, it, and painted. it's so interesting because so much of this does have a horror movie feel. Like it does, I mean, the going apart and then coming back together thing is very like, feels like it. And then you get, very dream warriors kind of feel a little bit just in these main kind of characters and their their character archetypes but both of those movies in reality don't start like horror movies <laughs> that's um, true so it's it's even more interesting that this one's like let's start real weird and then just like get progressively more like uh psychologically weird and a bunch of stuff about your inner child as it goes through <laughs> yeah and like who who you are as a person as an adult and stuff uh, I want to get a little bit nerdy and talk about the um, their actual characters themselves, like let's right. like their classes and stuff. Like the actual world is pretty cool. Like if I was gonna play a game in this world, which Ryan, I we will talk about. I know you can, but yeah, like if I was, I was going to, this thing is pretty dope. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> although grief night was a little oh, so good. No, that's so good. I adore that. And that just gets even like more and more interesting as the story goes on. Like the different abilities, I was like, no, this all tracks so well into like a really interesting class. And I also think that gave their adventures like a great like unofficial name. They're like, oh, the Stafford Six. I was like, okay, cool. Now you sold me on this name as well as all these different character archetypes that we're going to get. I liked it when they walked in and they were known as um, Paragons in that yeah, one, yeah, in that one city. Too. Because I'm like, that's such a cool hero name. Like, not just like, oh, the heroes, the adventurers, but like the Paragons is like such a dope name. That is, that is actually a really good party name. I'm jealous now. It was Dictator or Diplomat? Because I feel like it switched back and forth. It's, it's Dictator and he uh, describes it as a Diplomat with teeth. Oh, that's why. Okay. Which has um, basically its its whole skill set appears to be like charisma on steroids. Yeah, and actually, and and um, it's funny because in the in the manual in the RPG manual, uh, it it sort of specifically calls out which uh, which D and D characters they're based off of. Oh, okay. Is that but one supposed to be like a bard or a rogue or it's, something? It's it's yeah, it's no. But you you guys, I'm, I want you to come up with it and then I'll tell <laughs> you if you got it right. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah. So the dictator, it's the D four, which is the the bard's main uh, casting ability. But yeah, it's like bard or light warrior, non technical rogue is kind of where they're going with that. But yeah, you're right. It's very charisma based. Yeah, like because uh, I just keep thinking that it, all the abilities, like if I was gonna run the game, it, all the abilities would be like uh, persuasion or um, dominate or um, uh, charm or that kind of thing. Like, and it, it's all just um, charisma based, which yeah. is pretty cool. And it's it's crazy the emotion night like they have grief night in this one but he right you know B, they mention others being Kieran Gillen has written like a thing that you can do any of the spectrum of emotions as a knight. <gasps> Alan, <laughs> it's Green Lantern. It is a little bit <laughs> over the source. Totally is. So it's Kingdom Come Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, go. it's it's sort of like if if like a paladin based lantern. Right. That's fantastic where's that well in the story they mentioned uh they said you're a grief knight not a rage knight yeah which i'm like dude a rage knight would be awesome yeah. <laughs> are you kidding that sounds great but it also means that there could be like a joy knight yeah. there was um the oh, ashes right. boyfriend for that one time he yeah, was yeah. a a knight of kisses or something oh like yeah, that. yeah no it, it was like the implication was that, that they were kissing yeah got, you it. Go, you got it well yeah no Switching i understood that part as well <laughs> 
I mean, sort of. You have to get away from the other five people in your group to make yeah. it happen. So Don't split the party. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's very beneficial for at least one of you. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, Godbinder, which is my personal favorite. So of course it is. Godbinder is my absolute favorite because the concept of what's the difference between a god and a demon, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. not a whole lot. No. Like, in, in some circumstances. Alignment? Alignment, yeah. yeah. Power set. Whereas it always made, like, the, like in D&D, the cleric is beholden to a single deity. But, like, if you could find a way to, in the bartering system, like, the idea of, like, how do you make yourself usable and, and uh, not beholden to a god? And that's to offer and, and barter favors. So like, good. you owe me one, I'll owe you, you owe me, I owe you. And it's just, like, this whole trading of, of favors back and forth, I thought was, like, such a cool idea. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, it also, like, again, kind of brings it into, like, oh, this god is just like a demon with the deals that you're making, like, in exchange mm. for things, which is really interesting. Like, contracts with, like, yeah. devils and stuff. Yeah. And That's so a good point. It brings to mind not only the sort of, like, the cleric in D&D, but also, uh, like, a warlock, in a sense. I was gonna say warlock is probably closer than cleric, but but it's not too different from cleric. I mean, you could I could see an argument that like warlock and cleric are just the only difference is like what does their agreement with their god look like? Yeah, and, pretty much. Yeah, I think I've seen it as uh, <laughs> uh, was it clerics and and paladins have um, deities, but warlocks have sugar daddies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Uh, who else was in there? Oh, so the fool. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Which is basically like a rogue or a fighter, where you get bonuses if you do the stupid thing, Mm -hmm. like stand up to the dragon or run into danger or act without thinking. Can I get sneak attack on this? Can I have advantage on this roll? That's that's (laughs) the fool. Uh, if you're a barbarian and you're raging, it's sort of similar to that. Like, it's just anything that you can do to just be outwardly ridiculous in the face of adversity, you get bonuses and sort of like, that's how you play that class. Well, and they added a, a nice uh, a long shot from X-Men style uh, twist to it where it's literally like, hey, you can't uh, get too down or dour. Otherwise, those abilities start failing you and your luck just goes down, which is really interesting. Longshot is a good reference there. That is I'll a good you, reference. I'll I was gonna, thought about that. I was going to go with Domino, but no, you're right. Longshot is better in that particular <laughs> scenario. But it does feel a lot like that one scene from Deadpool 2 where uh, Domino yeah. is walking down the street and things are just like happening around her. Yeah. Like that's how it felt to me. Like you get up there and you stand in the fire and the fire is just going to move around you because, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. But uh, if you cower and run away from the fire, then you probably will get hurt. Yeah. 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 Um. What was the last one? The last one is the Neo. Yeah. The, right. Uh, yeah. The, the cyber. Cyberpunk. Cyberman. Cyberpunk. Yeah. It's it's uh, and that one's based on like thieves and rogues. Yep. Right. Except thieves and rogues with a like an addiction to fair gold, which apparently yes. is like temporary currency. I couldn't tell if it was like fey magic currency or is currency that you use like is it actual currency or is it a, a time release magic. I think it's like a it's like it's like a a magical like a currency imbued with magic that gets used up by the person doing stuff. I got that point. Like in order to use abilities you have to pay for it with the gold, but it also made it seem like the gold had an expiration date on it anyway. Yeah. Like at the end of a day it'll disappear. So either use it or you don't, but either way it's going away. It's almost like a battery. It it yeah, kind of so. it kind of makes me think that it would be really interesting to play as like a thief or a rogue that did have an addiction element. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Because it's such a, it's, 
because usually like the thieves will just do dumb stuff and everybody's like why did you do that and they're like well because i'm a thief stealing stuff right and everybody in the party gets annoyed with them but mm-hmm. when you have like the the addiction element of it it makes it like more compulsory and you're like oh dang it you know like instead of like you idiot yeah and i like that it's fair gold where like you know it's these like almost fairy slash angel style characters because the fair gold itself the way it seems to play out is it's almost entertainment for them because the way it seems to play out on a regular basis is yeah you can only get this for a limited time and you have to scramble for it which is emphasized by the fact that they literally need it to thrive so therefore they'll go to whatever lengths to get it and it just seems to be that and especially because we have a, a you know that confrontation with them at some point which seems to be like i don't care this was more entertaining for me and then we move on so it seems like it's more just like a like a fool's gold temporary thing where they're just trying to get you to get it by any means necessary because that is what they enjoy and, and if you don't have it you're kind of useless so yeah exactly like it's, a, it's a double yeah so everybody's like oh thing. i guess they do need it you know we can't just keep them away from it yeah at the same time yeah i man i really like all the archetypes i really like Me all too. the characters so good. Yeah, i think the yeah the classes and the characters are super super cool and then all of their personalities match with those classes like super well which makes them interesting characters um, because it makes it feel like in a fantasy game, I, I feel like it was it, it could have been well the exception of Matt I guess right Matt was the grief knight because he spent so much time trying to get out of that headspace but his class only functions when he is depressed and sad and angry you know at the at the world where like for lack of a better term when he's being emo right he's an emo knight um, but he doesn't want to do that because it sucks and he spent so long there and he's like. Then he spent 25 years building up this other life um, where he could finally be happy, and then he has to throw it away to survive. It's so, like, dang, man. It really feels like everybody has one of those. Like, every single one of the characters has one of those. Like it, I don't it, know, because I feel like the end of the book made a lot of sense when um, the fool, what was his name? Um, Chuck. 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 Yeah, of course. When he says, like, I don't know, I don't really have anything else to live for. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't, he had a little bit of character development that one time when he apologized for something, but then at, at the end of the trade, when he sort of, you know, welches on, um, on the agreement to leave the game, and then, and that just seemed very much like he didn't, he may have, like, misgivings, but I don't think he is as adver- adverse to the concept of the game as everyone else is. Well, but I think that... I, like I, I want to argue with you right now, uh, because I think that the the downside of that character of the character of the fool is that you have to just rush into everything and not and not care. And so, like, if he leans into that, owns it, owns it too hard, then he doesn't care about anything at all. And it seems like he's the one who, back in the real world, has the most success. Yeah, but he has never let go of that fool character really in his heart in a sense and so like he has the most success but he doesn't care at all about it and so when he says that like i have nothing to lose it's kind of like a shock and it shows just how much he's owned into this character because he's basically saying like yeah all that success doesn't it has not helped it doesn't matter that's a good point i mean like he's basically just a nihilist yeah i mean on top of that though i think one of the i mean uh, chuck can be reprehensible and he's easily my least favorite character but The thing is, his character, I actually found something in that I thought was really interesting, is his character out of all of them is the only one that's not really allowed to grow up because he starts as that kid who's just being a total jerk and trying to deflect from everything and just, like, you know, 
not let anything get too real, keeps making a bunch of jokes. And then in this world, that's literally how he survives and keeps other people alive. So therefore, he's not allowed to drop that under any circumstance, which you see a lot um, towards the end there where he's getting very like, he makes a lot more snarky jabs while also trying to be like on the upside, like which is, is clearly being like, oh, this is, you know, it does get to me. I still get angry about it, etc. But then also, you know, outside the world, sure enough, him coming out, he ends up in this like Hollywood life where he's an outward flashy jerk. And sure enough, it gets him lots of success and stuff like that. And then he just goes right back into that world. So he never really technically has that transition period to kind of grow up. And I think when we're talking about the carrying scars, which every one of them do out of that world, I think, you know, for a kid who hasn't matured and then spends what feels like forever in life and death situations in this game, having to be a jerk who doesn't let emotions get to him. I think he carries that out as being like, this is the only way to make it through life. Otherwise, it gets too bad. So I actually think he's got a pretty sad story at the end of the day. That's a good point. I mean, every, I mean, everybody really has sad stories. It's kind of yeah. like, it seems like a well, yeah. In this, book. this is this is not an upper book like at all. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. like. It isn't, but at the same time, like I read it and I'm like, so, like not stoked, but like invigorated. Like I want to create my own fantasy worlds. I want to. It makes me want to play D and D. It makes me want to like create because there's so much stuff. Mm-hmm. there's so many different elements of interesting creative ideas that are that he's like oh yeah eternal pressure let's do that for like kind of an issue and then we'll move on that concept man like you're like hang on hang on a second bringing so world good. war one to the lord of the rings world are you serious yes, you're gonna give us so less good. than an issue so on good. this and then and then jrr tolkien straight up actually shows up in the book Oh, and uses his actual eucatastrophe of the eagles, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the concept of eternal Prussia, uh, I think, is number one the most British thing in this entire book. Oh yeah, um, in but a very also British book. <laughs> it's very British, but also like from that British perspective that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Like in America, it would be World War Two, but in England, it's World War One. You know what I mean? Like that is a like a specifically British. Um, viewpoint of that time uh, time period um, I don't think uh, I don't think the word Prussia would show up on anybody's radar when you ask them about like oh you know what what's a <laughs> what's a region or a country in the last like 150 years that would that would be culturally impactful to you at least in America right we'd probably say Germany um, would definitely be one but Prussia was such like a like like an interesting topographical power and and region um that to to pull that out and then create uh like a a clockwork dragon you know what i mean in that in that era in that time like oh man that that tickled me in a way that made me feel invigorated and want to create because i love things that seem like they were pulled out from random if that makes sense um like one of my favorite animes is Fully Cooly, right? And the one thing that I love about it, or one of the things that I love about it, is the fact that the the medical uh, medical mechanica plant is a big like iron, like a like a clothes iron that just sits in the middle of the city. Like just that piece of architecture jumps out at me because it's like, oh man, that seems like so random, but at the same time, that means it's not something that I've seen over and over and over again. You know, like it's not some big wizard's tower. Uh, and that's what I really like about it. I think one of the reasons I find this so invigorating as well to tell stories is because of what it's doing with the stories. I mean, it's using it, obviously, to tell a completely new 
kind of perspective in one of these fantasy stories, which, you know, uh, obviously something like even Jen has touched on and stuff and other things is, is, is almost using it for like therapy and like walking through a bunch of different issues. But on top of that, what I like is it deconstructs things well. Like you get the, the, that wizard story about how every time he casts a spell, he loses a piece of his memory. Uh, oh, and man, then at the very yeah i i don't know this is too spoilery but at the end like the cost where it's like you know i've you know he forgot this last spell uh you use that last spell to open the gate then he forgot that this monster was his child and he did what heroes do and i like that because that breaks apart the exact kind of like switch that we see and then we see again later in the book where it's like from kid to child where that hero archetype like i just get up and slay monsters no matter what and not taking into account what the monsters could be um, the the in, inner workings of those monsters, just that they have to be killed right away, and I think that's very good. And using that like loss of memory is like a oh yeah, you kind of forget over time that these things are also living, breathing creatures, which we then get later on again with the fallen, where they really emphasize they're like, hey, just so you know, you probably should have taken time to sit and think about what this is instead of just killing things within it. There's no such thing as an easy kill, and I and I just like the way they're kind of breaking that apart because even things like you know obviously lord of the rings mentions things like orcs is like they're still living creatures and there's a bunch of stuff involved when it comes to looking at orcs where it's like well it still sounds like you're just taking out people who did have their own kind of still inner workings and lives at the end of the day which is really interesting and they just go through that a lot in this i love anything that gives me like a better look at a monster instead of just a standard print paper monster kind of thing i i agree with that um i mean it's definitely it's always it's always more uh, uh um impactful to have like that sort of underlying um feeling to it but man it hurts like it, it's extra weight to carry through the story you know what i mean like when we're sitting down playing D, like sometimes you probably just want to want to kill something and then not have to worry about it because this uh this story is i think a good example of how it can get emotionally taxing um to run through that you know what i mean to like even reading it, even reading the five issues or whatever, and and getting to the end of it and being like, "Oof, man, I gotta sit with that for a minute." You know what I mean? Like that, that's I think that's I think what uh, Karen Gillan really brings to the table um, for something like this. Like, yeah, he's a giant nerd and he's gonna do his due diligence and create a, a beautiful world, but he's also gonna make it. He's also gonna make you want to tear your own heart out. <laughs> He's going to make it really emotionally that. relevant or not just relevant, but emotionally resonant. Like it's, it's going to sit there and feel like, Oh, this like, and, and that's why I was arguing with you about the, the Grant Morrison thing, because the, the feelings in this book and the feelings that get brought up and the characters deal with feel like actual human feelings. Not that I, I don't know. Like it, it, it definitely stabs me in the heart a lot more than I can think of a Grant Morrison book that does. That's fair. I do want to say that I think that this book compared to i think this book delivers more in the first five uh, issues than wicked and divine did in the first five issues though i'm not going to disagree with you okay i'm not saying wicked and divine is worse by any means i will say that wicked and divine is a slow burn um it took me like a full trade and some change to really kind of like grasp onto it but once i did i'm like oh shoot this is so good um but considering they're written by the same person i think that he had a bit of more of an idea of what he wanted to get out of this story than when he started Wiccan Div. Yeah, I mean, based on the amount of uh, Kieran Gillen that I read on Twitter and in his email newsletters and on his Tumblr, and let's be honest with ourselves, um, he would probably argue 
that no, this wasn't written by the same person who wrote those first five issues of Wicked and Divine. That's fair. That's uh, a good point. Because this is like five years later or whatever. Um, That's true. It does feel really different. Yeah, and so for me, I'm not actually a big fan of Kieran Gillen. I I could not get into Wicked and Divine. You know, that was one of those ones that I liked the concept, but it just I couldn't. It didn't really grab me uh, through the story. I was like, okay, I see what we're doing, where we're taking gods to this kind of level. Um, but I honestly, this book feels like it does it so effectively, so quickly. By like the second issue, just in Isabel's story alone, we really deal with like you know deities and what it's like. You know, like her her story literally. You know, her character are continues to revolve around the fact that she starts out at, with this with like a very nihilistic like you know what is the point of gods like they're not there but we also see like you know she's like they'll just let you down but we see throughout the story that her constant thing as well is like i don't want people to look up to me because i might let them down and it's just this kind of like weird parallel that she ends up getting in terms of like what it is to be a god and like what then they demand of someone to be this kind of like uh, messiah style character and stuff like that. There, it's like there's the suffering, and then you, if you want to tangle with them, you're going to be stuck in for the bigger part of the game, where things are just also going to be taken from you. You're going to have to barter and make these deals, and I think it just goes so well and very clear so early with a really emotional resonance that I didn't get from something like Wicked and Divine. Not that it, it's bad. It's just it. I think this one uh, told the same kind of feel about taking that relevance and the weight of these kind of things and just put it in very early and very well executed yeah well i mean and there's something to be said for the the setting and stuff like that too yeah absolutely um and it, would you say that that she is sort of pulled out and, and forced to be a paragon yes uh, <laughs> nice uh let's let's talk about the art we haven't talked about the art yeah absolutely i mean how do you talk about the art in this case it's painted yeah it's yes but it's also drawn <laughs> What? It's dripping with mood. It constantly yeah. just like has a different pulse like every time they change scenarios. I feel like uh, more than half of every page is black. Black, white, yellow, red. Yeah. Like those are the those are the four colors. Like almost limited color palette even. Yeah, there's um, little little tinges of blue, some orange. But yeah, you're you're right. It's it's a very limited palette, but at the same time it's so lush. Yeah, and yeah. It, it feels it's, like it's it, used so well. Like you in the beginning, like we were talking about, like, you know, that whole Halloween feel where the yellow is just used to constantly have that pouring light out of everything to try and be like, this is the the warm, inviting inside home. And then in the whole thing with the bar that we end up in, where it's raining, they constantly just have it be washed out in the paints in the back, and it does feel like it's all wet and drippy and rainy like the entire time. And then we get this very otherworldly colors using just the reds, and then the reds and the blacks end up having this big drama. It's so interesting, like how such a limited palette was used to such, uh, you know, I think a really good, really good effect. The other thing that's going to make it um, blur and, and feel more like ethereal is just the lack of line art for the most part. Like it's almost all just solid shapes and wisps and um, like sort of an airbrush slash watercolor style. So everything, some of the things blend into each other. So like when they're fighting the dragon, the explosions and the sky blend into each other. But it's a hard black, um, like geometric shape to represent, you know, all the different pieces of dragon. Um, the character designs are super on par uh, with like anything high fantasy that you've ever seen. Um, they all represent their classes so, so, so well um, and are sort of. Like if you look at it, you see the um, the little um, details come out in in the outfits and the character designs, 
But if you're just taking a step back and you're taking it all in, you just recognize them all by shape. Like you can tell each character just by their silhouette for the most part, which is awesome character design. Like if you can just recognize the character um, in a peripheral, like you have a really, really good solid design there. Yeah, I really, one of the other things I really, really like is that the character designs in the worlds, like they've taken a lot of pains to make it not just sort of like classic Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, you know, that 1970s and 80s fantasy. Like it, it does feel like the cyberpunk doesn't feel like tacked on. It feels like part of it. Like the fool isn't wearing like some sort of, you know, like bard costume. He's wearing like a leather jacket. You know, it it feels very like modern, but it all part of the same thing at the same time. Right. Um, I do think that like considering it was supposed to be uh, kids in '91 who like designed these characters, I feel like it's a little too modern for 1991. I feel like '91 is still riding that edge of '89 too hard. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. Cyberpunk was already a thing at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like the Matrix wasn't, you know? No, like... fair, but it, but the stuff that the Matrix, the the people who made the matrix red a lot of it already existed at that point yeah simulacra and simulacrum yeah well and, uh, and some a lot of the manga and william true Gibson. i mean apple black existed so uh a lot of the manga that we've read so far <laughs> we're not good at keeping up with manga um yeah but uh, i do think the character designs are good but uh, that being said i think that it's a little once they're in in the in the the game again, it doesn't make a difference anymore. Like I, I I mean, you can forget that, and it still plays out just fine. What do you What do you mean? Like the the problem I have with the costumes, like not the problem I should say, but like the weird like I don't know if kids in '91 oh, design gotcha, these gotcha. costumes, but the other thing they don't um they don't talk about. I just thought about this is how. Well, I'm assuming they're gonna get there, but the kid the kid that's running the game is he a wizard? <laughs> like how did this whole thing occur well yeah it's it not like, like a bunch of bad stuff happened but he was yeah I yeah think, i, I guess think that that's that's the long-term arc is what happened yeah. and how can if it's possible can they get him back yeah i think that uh i think probably the main my, my theory is that he found the dice or bought the dice and the dice have the power and he figured out how to like design the game around the actual d- dice and so if you have one of those die then you are able to like partake in this kind of thing. And then, so I think that's why each player gets one. It's like a it's like a transport token or something. And then like how much trauma is he gonna have from being stuck in this world for like twenty five years? Well, too many. He's also dead already. So. Yeah, well is he? Is he? No. That's a we, good point. Who knows? Yeah. Adam, what were you saying? Uh they're definitely kind of leading into that. Um I thought there were seven issues because in the files there's an extra two which I read, so I guess I did extra oh. credit. <laughs> um, I didn't do the extra credit, I'm sorry. And they do hint at how did a 16-year-old create this magical world. So it's definitely something that does is going to be fleshed out, which I'm, I'm really excited to see. Out, you know, nice. If, mm-hmm. I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm down with that. You guys want to hear, awesome. hear a little bit about the, uh, the RPG? Or at least yeah, yeah regardless, regardless, I know that you're bursting at the seams. For far this. too dense just for me to read my it. Favorite, my favorite part <laughs> of, the, of the RPG guidebook is step one is create your characters which are high schoolers in the 90s. Okay. So create them, their, their world, their life. And then it literally says, okay, step away from the table, sit back down. You are now those characters creating their characters in the game. Okay. 
I like that. So I feel like that's just more of like a, a, a mindset uh, exercise. But it's to give them like motivations that exist outside of the game, but yeah. not outside of the whole game. I like that. Because it's an RPG for the comic book, not for the story. I don't know, man. That's it's, a good point. It's, <laughs> it's, good point. So, it's so meta. So it's so meta. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's you can find it on uh, on Kieran Gillen's website if you go if you just Google it you'll find the. So I'm assuming uh, with each class, are there more than just those classes? No, those are the classes. Those are the only. Classes those are the classes. Created. I mean, each of them has a lot of more dimensions than what we see. We only see that one version, like the Grief Knight. There's all the different um, right. spectrum of of emotion knights and stuff like that. Most of them have you know some sort of they're wider than the characters that were created. Um. Do, so each class gets its own die to work with, mm-hmm. and like all your rolls are done on that one die. Uh, essentially, yeah. It's it's a it's like a floating stat metric where stats move back and forth. I don't fully. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't read all 130 pages of the guidebook in <laughs> sure. a while. Uh, <laughs> so I don't. I wonder. I wonder exactly. if like has he made a YouTube video or has somebody made a YouTube video about playtesting this, like or or playing the. I would love that. He calls it a beta. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it's, there's somebody might have. Maybe we should. Well, they can't because as soon as you start playing, you get sucked into the world and the video ends and every <laughs> single time. They got to just strap GoPros to their chest. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, up, so I typed in die tabletop. But yeah, that's going to be These hard. are all just beer pong yeah. tables. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, here's the die to cut a beer pong table. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday. Um, quick aside, did I tell you guys that there is a uh, a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uh, deck uh, game? Of course like, there is. Have it, you bought it yet? So each each Power Ranger, not yet. It's a deck of um, abilities, and it's collaborative. So like, it's sort okay. of like um, there there isn't um, like you're all collaborating to beat the game. So the game gives you scenarios. Yeah, exactly. Please tell me there's an Exodia Megazord style card. Like if you put them all together, you're like, I win. The game's over. You do so. So each person (laughs) summons a Zord at some point as a reward, and then uh, the game comes with minis to put on the table. Uh, And so there's a Megazord mini. I think it's still in Kickstarter right now. But I watched a couple like play tests of it with um, people who do their own RPG uh, Power Rangers game on Twitch. Which is also very. It's called Hyperforce. I think is what it is. Nice. Um, it sounds like yeah. just just off enough that nobody's going to get angry about it. <laughs> oh, I think it, it it probably already has like official backing at this point. It's oh yeah, for a little bit. Oh man, so um, I'm reading through the source book, and uh, it's a. I got to the part running the dictator. Who to give the dictator to? And I just got to read this little chunk. The dictator is the bard as a horror character. Bard is someone who sings magical songs that alter people's emotional states, either positively or negatively. Dictator takes that and turns it into something intensely awful. Nice. Oh, love that. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is going to be a group of people who really want to just be awful, is what it sounds like. No, but I think the whole point is that they, they were awful in the past and it has messed yeah. them up. And 25 years later, they like, have intense regret and sadness about what happened. And then they're forced back into that because to play their character correctly, they have to do these terrible things again. Well, and I'm really excited to see more of that in terms of, if nothing else, Dominic slash Ash's story, because like 
the few bits that we get of Dominic are literally barely any dialogue exchanged. It's it's mostly That's not wrong. It, it it literally the one of the opening callouts is like, oh, you can't even defend somebody, like you won't speak up. And then like literally gets this character is like, if I say anything, you'll do it. Like kind of thing, like my words have more power if I say them here than anything. It's like, so don't ask me to talk. I'm like, it's interesting, especially because it's so manipulative, his character. Like it literally exists to exactly like Roger said, like, just do probably the worst thing that you can kind of manipulate someone into, which we see a lot of Ash in the real world, where it's talking about, you know, lie, deflect, like kind of thing and stuff, which is technically manipulating a conversation in a person's view of you. I was like, it's really interesting. I want to see more of Ash slash Dominic's story for sure when we, yeah, when these progress. So, plus, I thought it was, go ahead. I was just going to say, plus the the element of um, a dude playing a woman and then basically living, living as a woman for a couple of years. There's a lot of, you know, kind of like gender fluidity or, or you know, gender boundary questions that yeah. that well, um, are really interesting that they're addressing. Absolutely, and it, and it seems implied that you know uh, Dominic had those kind of uh, questions or was going through that search beforehand because of the way Isabel, you know, kind of apologizes apologizes for calling him you know Gaylord, which was you know obviously like one of those harsher moments in a very '90s kind of thing that was thrown around a lot more. Um, and the way that she apologizes implies a lot more. And then even when he's talking about the person that Elf Queen's based off of, you know, uh, he mentions kind of like, uh, or mostly straight boys, like kind of thing and stuff. So it's really interesting to see what that ends up being for this character and how it changes the mindset when they come mm-hmm. back out as well. And it seems like this is something that the character has not fully dealt with either. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, for sure, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're just about hitting that time. Um, so... Let's do uh, uh, like a final wrap up. Um, I'm assuming uh, anybody have any final thoughts on on the book overall? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is Alan. You're right. This is advanced comics. This is especially comics that really work if you are starting to get into, or not if you're starting to get into. If you're into Dungeons and Dragons, it really helps a lot. Um, just because it it it's 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 not so much. It's it's not so much D and D fan fiction as much as it is like, this is just something that references it really heavily. You know, it would be like reading um, like the authority and not having any idea who the justice league is because all of those authority comics are basically every character is a reaction to a current DC character. And so it really helps if you're familiar with the justice league, if you read the authority and it's the same sort of thing, it's like you can't have this without Dungeons and Dragons and it, gives it so much depth and makes it so much more interesting with Dungeons and Dragons among the other literary and other references in this book. I I agree with all of that. And I think um, this is just another example, I think, uh, in how fantasy as a genre has grown so many, so much in so many years. Like for a long time, I was saying that fantasy is the hardest genre to sell somebody on. Like if you say sci-fi or uh, rom-com or, or anything along those lines, and then you pitch somebody a story, it generally comes off way better than, oh, it's a fantasy. You know, it's like knights and dragons and that kind of thing. Because I think that um, the fantasy genre has so so many legs and roots in like Disney films, for example. Like something that's seen as, uh, as juvenile or uh, juvenile at best and honestly just very nerdy at worst and almost like almost antisocial in, in some contexts. Um, but then when you get stuff like this, um, especially with the rise of D&D, um, the Lord of the Rings movies over the last 10 years, um, like all of that stuff, um, 15 years probably, um, and then all of that stuff sort of getting a more, uh, oh, and then obviously Game of Thrones, 
like uh game of thrones being uh as fantasy based as it as it was and getting that big that much of a following like this kind of story probably could not have been written as well or this way 10 years ago yeah and i mean honestly kind of liking what you're talking about there's definitely been kind of obviously a rise in a lot of people revisiting fantasy you know a lot of us probably saw like the lord of the rings movies either the Rankin bass or the original in theaters when we were younger you know heard about things like D D or magic and stuff like that um and then that i think a lot of uh people i know now are, are really re-exploring a lot of that as adults going back through things reading some of the extended material or we're talking about them in different discussions, you know, uh, through an eye now that you didn't exactly see when you were a kid, when it's like, oh, it's about elves and dwarves and some really cool struggles. And then you see how much layering there is uh, afterwards. But on top of that, I think this book is a perfect pickup for if you're someone like that, because it is all about looking back at what you viewed fantasy as when you were young as an adult and like what this means. And the layers that can go into something like that and the the things you couldn't see before. And it takes all that and puts it under a microscope and really kind of breaks down all the different things that you would possibly view differently now that you're older. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting to read. And I, I think, you know, it's definitely something good if you're a, a fantasy fan for sure. Yeah. What a fantastic recap. Thank you for joining us, Adam. Oh, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for being here. It was, it was a good as on this uh pull back the curtain a little bit on this very late night of recording that we have going on <laughs> yeah, seriously you know adult schedules are hard yeah, yeah pretty much uh so if people want to follow you on the internet where can they do that uh as of right now they can currently not follow me anywhere except for uh uh instagram but even that's uh not very active so <laughs> currently nowhere uh look for next year uh there's going to be something under a the title of burrito page which is where we're publishing our first uh uh, self-published comic book that should be out sometime next year and we will definitely talk about it on the podcast and on our social media when that comes out awesome thank you alan how do people find you online uh you can find me on instagram at marginally talented you can spell it normally now and uh you can see where i draw stuff um and my twitter is also marginally talented but that one's m-r-g-n-l-y talented yeah and i'm on twitter and instagram as ryan roop r-y-a-n-r-u-p-p-e um yeah i've been talking about the untitled goose game a lot on twitter (laughs) (laughs) i just love to be a horrible goose honking around and harassing children it's the best you're a terrible goose person ryan i am um so hey guys uh you should read this yeah you should read this yeah absolutely (laughs) uh check out check out you should read this uh we're on twitter at ysrt comics and on instagram at you should read this comics please tell your friends to listen to our show and thanks for listening thank you thank you okay bye-bye bye